You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Doc G. Welcome back to Earn and Invest. I'm excited about our episode today with Bruce Hyland and Ted Kaufman. But before we get there, I wanted to remind you to go to earnandinvest.com slash survey. That's earnandinvest.com slash survey. Answer a few questions for us. It just makes sure that the advertisers we have appeal to you, our community. And the best way for us to do this is to gather a little information. It will take almost no time. It's anonymous and it will really help us out. Check us out at earnandinvest.com slash survey. And speaking of advertisers, in 2020, I think many of us did a lot of self-reflection. For many, it was around personal growth, maybe career choices, personal finances, you name it. One topic that has really surfaced post-2020 is giving back. How can we make a difference in someone else's life, and is it possible to do good for others while actually making money? Equity and Help grows your capital while helping others and shows how the simple act of investing can make a huge difference to American families. Equity and Help makes it possible to help a family in need. Over 50% of Americans spend more than half of their earnings on rent payments, so what Equity and Help has done is build an investment model to shrink this number. If you're interested in a philanthropic investment model, you can speak to a so-called philanthropic investor at Equity and Help. Just visit equityandhelp.com slash podcast. Again, that's equityandhelp.com slash podcast. This is Bruce Hyland. I'm Ted Kaufman, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Welcome back. Today on Earn and Invest, we discuss life after retirement. Search Amazon or any bestseller list, and you're likely to find a number of books regarding the financials behind leaving the workplace. In fact, Americans are retiring in their mid-60s and can look forward to enjoying as much as three decades outside the structured workforce. Up to now, affordability has been the forefront of the conversation. With their book, Retiring, Your Next Chapter is about much more than money. Former Senator Ted Kaufman and business consultant Bruce Hyland draw our attention to an oft-forgotten aspect about the ending of our formal careers. Ted Kaufman is a former U.S. Senator and Delaware succeeding Senator Joseph Biden. Ted was Biden's chief of staff for 19 years and led his presidential transition planning in 2020. He taught at Duke Law School for 26 years. Bruce Hyland's career included working for global consulting firm McKinsey, more than four years as chief administrative officer at Time, Inc., 20 years of independent consulting, and four startups. When Bruce and Ted both reach retirement, they realize that instead of slowing down, people are leaving their jobs feeling ready to take on the world. They're financially independent, active, and capable, and then suddenly they have nothing to do. 
Ted and Bruce, welcome to Earn and Invest. Bruce, I want to start with you. At the beginning of your book, Retiring, your next chapter is about much more than money. You open with a question. What's the problem? Let's start there. What's the problem with the way most of us retire? Most of us spend too much time on the financial side of it. There's so many so many people eager to help. There's so much out there. And it's it's easy to deal with because it's factual, hard facts, data, and the like. And entirely too little time is spent thinking about the rest of the equation. And we talk about the changes that you experience in retirement. And if you're not prepared for those changes, a lot of things can go off the track. Ted, let's jump into that a little further. I mean, this idea really that we're talking about is that retirement should be fulfilling. I think that's almost a new idea. We almost think about retirement as an ending. You guys are suggesting it's a new beginning. Yeah. And and one of the biggest reasons, Doc, is that it's much longer than it used to be. Back when our parents retired, they retire, they work for a big company or something like that. They, re- they work till they're 65. That's when Social Security kicked in. That's when the pension kicked in. Then they live for five or 10 years afterwards. See, that's one problem. Now, people retiring in their 50s, and they've got 30, 35 years to look forward to. So it's, it's got to be something that, that you really have to spend a, a lot of time planning it, or you're going to get, as you said, a year into it, and you're going to find out that you just don't have anything to do, and you're what we call failing retirement. In fact, Bruce and I wrote this book because we had just talked to so many of our, our friends and people we talked to who, who were actually failing retirement. One of the things that research shows as well is that most people, when they're in the, typically their late 60s or so, begin to focus on the question of meaning. And they think back about what have they done, and they think about things they haven't done and would like to do. There's a switch in there that gets flipped to get people thinking about how they spend their time now that they can do what they want. Ted, I want to talk more about meaning, and I think that's a big part of this book. But before we do, I think I would be remiss. You guys are both talking about this idea that retirement can span 30, 35 years. Isn't the financial part, in essence, a really hard part of this whole planning process. I mean, you could have to financially cover yourself for the next 30 years. Yeah, no, I think the financial part is very, very important. And I think that's one of the key things we say in the book. But as Bruce said before, most people do go ahead and do their financial planning, and then they have this this other problem. So if you want to pick a book on financial planning, you can throw a a dart up against the wall and 99% of the time you'll hit a book on telling you how to handle the financial side of it. And there's very few books being written about what you do once you settle the financial thing and are, are start and get involved in your retirement. Doc, we, we go so far in the first chapters to point out that if you haven't done your financial planning, it'd be a good idea to pet, put this book aside and get on that work. Because the, the the, the real issue with financial planning is to understand the resources that you have so that you're going to make a lot of choices and you have to understand what you can afford, what your choice range is. So we set up financial planning as a precondition to a really successful effort to plan the rest of your life. 
Bruce, I feel like in the past, we've somewhat defined retirement by this ability to pay for your lifestyle afterwards. If we're moving past the financial conversation, does it mean that we have to redefine what we call retirement today? Yeah. I Well, Ted, Ted and I have had a, a wonderful series of conversations about the definition of retirement. And we both use the, the functional definition of retirement is when you are in charge of what you do, when you do it, and how you do it. So that opens up a whole range of alternatives as to what goes on in, in retirement. Ted, talk more about that. I mean, philosophically, if we're going to redefine retirement about controlling your time, I mean, I know lots of people in their 20s and 30s who are lucky enough to love their jobs that are doing that currently. Is that the key aspect there? No, I think, by the way, I think this, the book is not designed for these people, but I think it, anyone who's retired under Bruce and my definition could use this book in terms of how to organize their life and what, what they're going to do in terms of not the, the out of job kind of things. No, I think this is, this is going to be more and more relevant to everybody's decision making, not just people that are in their 60s on terms of how do I handle the fact that I now control my own schedule and what do I do? We use the metaphor in the book of the way you plan a, a mall, a shopping mall, and you find an anchor store. You have to have an anchor store. And then your anchor store, you can figure out what fills in naturally around that. And that's one of the themes that we talk about in the book is finding what for you will be your anchor store activity. And then with that in mind, Many other questions are you have shed light on on good answers. Just take my example. When I retired, that was when I started set up my own schedule and control my own schedule. I decided I wanted to start teaching, so I taught at Duke Law School and the Business School and the Public Policy School. Doc, I taught there for twenty six years. I mean, it was you know, and the anchor store. One of the things the anchor store is what you find is. When you're in control of your own schedule, people are coming up to you every day and saying, hey, what are you doing, Ted? And it's always good to have an anchor store, something you can say, I'm teaching too, okay? And so I think that it all kind of fits together. And as I said, again, that would apply to people a lot younger than, than 60 or even 50. Ted, two things come up as you talk about your anchor store. One is you would call yourself retired, but you were definitely making money as you were acting as a professor. The other is post quote unquote retirement, you actually became a senator of the United States. Right. Well, we call that failing retirement. <laughs> <laughs> because, because what happens is one of the important parts of retirement is controlling the rhythm of your life. This is one of the things that's really, really key, a key concept that's in the book. And that is you got to get away from this quantitative, you know, how much can I jam, jam my life into, you know, 10 hours or 12 or 14 hours a day? And doing whatever it is that I'm 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 doing, you got to start thinking. I'm gonna I'm gonna think more about quality over quantity. Uh, everything I do, I'm gonna do with more thought and more depth. It's it's a more it's a more satisfying satisfying situation. So I think that's really one of the one of the uh, key things that drive whatever it is you do and how do you control the rhythm. What happens to you? With someone like me who failed, Bruce failed too. <laughs> we both learned from from failure. What you find out is, so you, you go along, and I was, I was, I was retired for like t 10 years in my retirement. I was still busy. I was working 60 hours a week and all the rest of that kind, but I had control of what I was doing. 
Then you then you hit something like going back to the United States Senate for two years, and the 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 rhythm goes absolutely the wrong direction for retirement. You're you're you know you're so busy all the time, and then and then so then when you leave that, it takes you it took me years before I could get back to the the rhythm that I wanted to have to be retired after after failing as United States Senator. I went on to, then to fail, and I got President President elect Biden talked me into involved in this transition. So I, I, I'm a recidivist. I failed twice, but I've sworn I'm not, I'm not failing again. He's just a boy that can't say no. <laughs> you know, Bruce, it's, it's funny because I think about, and I've been asking myself, why is this idea of retirement so jarring for otherwise very successful people? Because you have to be pretty successful to have your finances in order enough to support yourself. And one thing I come up with, and I think both of you speak to this, is this idea of retirement versus work. For some reason, we believe that when you're retired, you're not supposed to do work anymore. And it seems that both of you have shown that that's not actually the key at all. People who are high-focused achievers are probably going to work most of their life. It sounds like having more control of your work is the issue. Have I characterized that right, Bruce? The career that we've all experience. If you ask people, what would you do during your business life? They generally focus on, you know, a particular action, set of actions. And then when you move into retirement, you've got this freedom to choose other things. The changes that go with leaving what you used to do are profound. You know, if you were a U.S. senator or if you were a chief something or other at some big corporation or, you know, whatever the title was that carried with you, your identity changes. Day one, when you retire, you are then formerly whatever. All the stuff that goes with that job kind of goes away. We tick, you know, you lose your your personal assistant, you lose the uh, perks that go with your job, and and in your community, uh, community of friends and acquaintances, your identity changes. So there, that's just one of several profound changes that that you're having to face when you move into this new life. Now, the good thing is that a lot of that stuff was defined for you, whether you liked the definition or not, when you were doing whatever you were doing. Now it's up to you. So there's some fascinating choices to be made. And that's the whole point of this book is to, you know, you get to make your own choices. There are no experts that will tell you what you should do, where you should live, when you should retire. You've got to work that out for yourself to get it right. I'd like to go back to one little thing we talked about earlier, and that's the, the financial side and the investment side. Because one of the things that uh, Bruce and I found was a number of people, we were retiring like in the late 90s during the dot-com. And you've mentioned before about how important it is doing the right investment and, and having an investment strategy the rest of it. We had a number of friends who invested in dot-com, who, who took money that they should not have invested in a high-risk area, and they did it. And they, they really hurt themselves in terms of the kind of investment they have. Not, not about whether they could put food on the table, but they, 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 a lot of the things they were planning on doing, they were planning on traveling, they were planning on having a second home, they were planning on all these things. But because they messed around and got involved in risky investments, they ended up having to really dial things back. And it, and it was a sad thing to see because we've been living with them now for 
how many years, almost 20 years, and you just see how people's at, at retirement really got messed up because they got into it. They, they, they didn't focus enough on the financial side and how important it is to maintain enough funds to in order to, to, to allow them to live the life that they plan. It's an interesting question because people who are diligent enough to get to that retirement place and have enough money, why do you think they did that? Why do you think they they must have strayed from their financial plan in order to do something more risky? And maybe that speaks a little to the disquiet of not having the status they had before. I'd like to introduce an idea that I couldn't figure out any way to get it in the book, and we were we were not addressing financial planning in the book specifically. But one of the key ideas that I certainly in my experience, and I think Ted's as well, was to have a sense of what's enough. Enough is an incredibly powerful term. Over the years in my career, I had opportunities to get make much more money on doing jobs. But the the trade-offs against what the kind of life I wanted were just unacceptable. So I always had in mind some number, some you know, vague notion of what enough was. And it, you know, I'll admit that it changed over time as I grew, the number got bigger. But knowing how much is enough is a very, very powerful tool. And it, I think, as Ted was saying a few minutes ago, People that don't have a sense of what's enough may be pushed or tempted to take risks or make decisions that really aren't good in the long run. I was very fortunate. When I was in high school, I got involved in playing poker with friends. And some weeks I lost. And when you didn't have much money, you know, to came out, take out your lunch and the rest of it. And I propounded a theory for myself. Never bet the necessary in order to gain the superfluous. I think that is a rule that people, you know, it, 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 again, this is, this is an investment rule that everybody should adhere to. For what happened to the people when the dot-com thing? You asked the right question, Doc. What, what, what was this all about? And it was crazy because they really had enough money to have a retirement that would be a good quality retirement for them for 20, 30, 30 years. And they went out and rather than, 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 than putting the money into a more conservative or a mix of conservative and risky investments, they kind of went into this dot-com thing and they blew the necessary in order to gain money that what were they going to do with it even if they got it? So I, I've seen this enough happen, Bruce, too, that, that I've seen it too, that, that you realize this is a serious problem. What we're trying to do, which is what are you going to do beyond the money? But if you don't handle the money part right, the limits on what you can do with the non-money part obviously are obvious. Bruce, you talk about enoughness, this concept of what is enough financially. And in a lot of ways, I think what your book to me addresses is that same question of what is enough when you're leaving the financial realms and starting to talk about meaning post-retirement. This gives us a good chance to jump into some of the specifics of the book because I just think there's so much that's great there. You talk about three stages of retirement, transition, real retirement, and seniority. Which is the book really geared to? Which, which stage? Our original target audience were the people probably, say, from mid-50s into their early 60s who were approaching retirement. As we did our research and talked to people, and more importantly, listened to lots of people that had retired, 
we understood that we really were going to be communicating not only with those approaching retirement, but those that were had entered retirement, but weren't happy. Things, things weren't working out. Uh, so in, in the course of that broadening of our, our audience, we started thinking about, okay, what's our own experience and our friend's experience? What what happens first is you face all these challenges, all these profound changes. So that's kind of a transitional period. And then if you're getting it right, you kind of settle in. As Ted says, you get the rhythm right. You figured out what your anchor store is and you're enjoying your retirement. Then I think the term we use in the book, as I recall, is called reality intrusions. Uh, <laughs> And it can you can blow an elbow. I blew a knee skiing in Utah. <laughs> you know, all sorts of things can happen that disrupt the plan, but they're also indicators of the fact that you're getting toward we euphemistically call it senior status. You know, real world, it's aging. And we don't travel nearly the way we used to travel because we're, you know, I'm 81, my wife's approaching 80. Yeah, we just don't have the flexibility, the mobility to do that anymore. So that's the third period, is the, which we euphemistically call seniority. And that's where your shift is from less, even less activities, perhaps, and more into the really fulfilling things that help you get your act together as you're looking at, back over the whole, the whole game. Yeah, you know, Bruce and I got started on this thing as a hobby, a perfect retirement project. You know, we'd be having coffee or something, we talk about retirement. And we started out, as Bruce said, we, it was, that was about two or three years of that. And then we said, well, we're going to write a book. And then it was two or three years of writing the book. Again, it, it, it's not, it's not, that's where the rhythm thing comes in. It's, we're not on some, some deadline. But as Bruce said, we started out thinking we had a pretty good kind of objective for the book. And that was to find people that get ready for retirement and, and tell them how to retire. Well, we started talking to people and we found out that's not where the market is. Where the market is, there's two places where the market is. One is people that failed retirement. That's the big one. I said the people that were out for a year or two of retirement and failed it. And two were the spouses mothers, fathers, not more like children, who, whose who parent or friend was not fun to be with because they were screwing up their retirement. And so that became the target for us. I think the people we talked to, Bruce, and Ray, I mean, by far the most people are saying, I want the book in order to, you know, to give to my dad at Christmas. Maybe you'll read it and maybe you'll get a, get more comfortable with retirement. I give it, or more, even more than that is I want to give it to my husband who's 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 failing retirement to that point the very first podcast interview we did was with, with a younger guy and at the end of the at the end of the re, the discussion he said i'm really worried about my folks they haven't thought about any of this stuff this, can i can i give them that pdf file <laughs> he said absolutely and, you know that that's just so satisfying to us when people recognize that this is this is this book. This effort is to help people. That's why we do it. I mean, it, it sounds very Boy Scoutish, but that's why we wrote the thing because we just thought, you know, we've got a whole lot of information here, and it's coming together in a way that you know we can make sense of it. And this would help people avoid 
mistakes and it would help them have much more satisfying lives. One of the saddest things in, in, in retirement is have someone who decided they were going to spend their retirement playing tennis or playing golf or skiing, as Bruce said earlier. And you, you sit and, you, and, and, and they don't know what to do. I mean, they basically thought, you know, I'm going to, I, one of the saddest cases, I, had a, I, I have a real good friend and he's not, he's, he's not unique. And he, he and three other, three other men have played golf for like 40 years before they retired. Now they retired and they were going to play golf. They're going to travel around different conferences. And his golf game just starting to fall apart. It's nothing physical like it's, you know, it's just that his game isn't what it used to be. And he's not competitive. And he is, he was in real pain about, you know, what do I do now? I mean, these are my friends. This is my life. And, you know, I, I, but every time I go out and play, I feel like I'm the guy dragging up, you know, I'm just not competitive anymore. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking about coping with retirement with former Senator Ted Kaufman and business consultant Bruce Hyland. Their book, Retiring Your Next Chapter, is about much more than money, drops May 4th. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Are you enjoying the conversations we're having every Monday and Thursday on Earn and Invest? Well, I wanted to tell you there's another place you can go to have similar conversations 24-7. That's right. Every day of the week, go to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. This is our Facebook group where the community comes together to talk about just about everything from finance to personal finance to the economy to current events. You name it, we discuss it there, and we would love to have you become part of our community. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook and we'll see you there. Welcome back. When Ted Kaufman and Bruce Hyland reach retirement, they realize that instead of slowing down, people are leaving their jobs, feeling ready to take on the world. They're financially independent, active and capable, and then suddenly they have nothing to do. Before the break, we discussed this idea of failing retirement. How do you start planning for retirement? How soon do you start plotting out what life is going to look like while you're still active and in the workplace? Well, the first thing you have to decide is kind of when do you want to retire? That's really the, the big question, especially now when there are so many different opportunities. And again, with our definition of retirement being, you know, when can I control my own schedule? You have to, 
you have to kind of figure out what your scale is. I mean, I was, in 1991, I was working for, for a chief of staff to Senator Biden, had a great job. I really enjoyed working with him and the rest of it. And a friend of mine came to me who taught at Duke Law School and said, hey, would you teach a course with me on the Congress at Duke Law School? I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm, I'm working. You can't imagine. Chief of staff to a senior United States senator takes a lot of time. And he said, well, just think about it. And I went home and talked to my wife. And, and, and she basically said, you know, we're probably going to want to retire in four or five years. Why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and do this? And so I went and I talked to Senator Biden, who is great on these kinds of things. And I said, look, I, this, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to be gone for like eight Mondays to start with fly down and fly back. And he said, great, go ahead and do it. And that's how I got into the, the teaching, which, as I said earlier, I did for 26 years. But if I let that pass, trying to get into a teaching job at a particular time is very, very difficult. So you got to keep your eyes open all the time, looking down the road on what it is that, that, that you want to do, because that's going to shape when you retire. It's going to it's going to be shaped by what you can do when you retire. That was one of those anchoring activities. It sounds like you had your eye on the anchor before you had a specific retirement date. You have to. By the way, I think on just about every anchor, you've got to have an idea of what it is you're going to do well before you get into doing it. Bruce, let me quote from the book. You guys say your answer to three interconnected questions will provide your planning architecture. When will you retire? What do you want to do? Where should you live? That sounds deceivingly simple. <laughs> it sure does sound simple. Let me just add to, to Ted's comments on the when part. I think one of the keys for deciding when to start thinking about this stuff is when you can imagine, when you can literally imagine not doing what you've been doing full bore for so long. In my case, I've been going full bore in New York and my my first effort at retirement was was informed by my knowing that I there was stuff I just wanted to stop doing and not have to deal with and at the same time I had a long history of liking to be in country and nature and agriculture and all that stuff so that that first effort was informed that way the questions of where of what and when I think in the in the books, this, the paragraph you read, it was followed by the the statement that these this is fluid, heuristic, and it's a process that feeds back on itself. So, if if we start off with when to back to your original question, when should an individual start thinking about this? It's when kind of when they start thinking about it. If they're in their late 50s, their late 60s, their partner, their spouse, somebody says, hey, you know, what are you going to do? That's probably a good time to start thinking about what you're going to do. As Ted pointed out, the, the, actually, the options you have as to when have increased while there, there are a lot fewer old-fashioned pension plans that require a date certain. And you've got options that, especially on the financial side, that, that you're better, more familiar with. Then we get into the what to do. We talked about the anchor store and the where. Where kind of follows from what you figured out about what you want to do and where you want to do it. But it also is, has to be informed by the, your, what we in the book refer to as your heart, your relationships, where, you know, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's really close friends, sometimes it's just the community that you feel comfortable in. 
you're going back and forth through all these all these issues as you're moving toward retirement and you're in effect developing your plan. Doc, and the when question, you're a perfect example. I mean, what you did, what you decided to do, how you decided to do with your life to move out from being a full-time doctor to doing what you're doing now, and then and also help helping in hospice. That's that's kind of that's a model for what it is that we're hoping for people to do. As Bruce said, you're in an area you're not comfortable uh, with what you're doing. You, you you've enjoyed it. It's been great. It's been very satisfying. But you really want to get on with with something else. And again, this can happen with people in their twenties and thirties or forties. It doesn't. You know, again, retirement is as definition. Our definition is when you kind of control your own, control your own schedule. So I think you know it when you see it. Ted, you talked about teaching as your anchor. You mentioned for me, hospice actually is one of my anchors as I left my daily practice. Are there such things as bad anchors? Things that probably don't make sense to invest in long term when you're talking about retirement? Yes, I think there are things that uh, that that you should uh, not look at or know not to do and i think one of them is is the idea of day trading there's a perfect example of something again it just it's something that people do they get out there they get out of their job i talked earlier we talked earlier about the fact that that the dot com thing just brought people down but that's one of the things that i think is most important bruce what about family you know i want to spend more time with my family that's what i'm going to do when i stop working is that a bad idea Oh, no, it sounds like a great idea. Good idea to check with your family to see if they want to spend more time with you. <laughs> we, we refer to a Wall Street Journal uh, letter to the editor that we saw along the way on this. This guy was, he, he was dismissing all sorts of advice he'd heard about how to plan what to do in retirement. And he said he was going to take long walks with his grandchildren, read books, and some other non, not non sequitur. And all I could think of, and Ted and I both had the same reaction because we've, we've got very active, lively, powerful grandkids. And the idea of, God, you know, here comes, here comes Papa again, wanting to go for one <laughs> of those long walks. And then the books where you, the person, I, I know people like this, who basically sequester themselves and just read and read and read. And then when they do come out, I, I, all I ever see, I, you have good conversation, but then I sense this kind of a depressed attitude because they haven't had human interaction. And the other thing in the book, and this this is part of the research we did, we found out that socialization is a very important part of retirement. Mm. And if and it, I, I forget the name of the study, but it's in the book, and it goes into the study in a bit, and the book explains it. But essentially, as I remember it, people live seven percent longer if they actively involve in socialization. And the the fellow that was writing the letter to the editor of the Wall Street Journal was talking about things that essentially he was in isolation except when he's with his family. And as Bruce said, that all depends on how much the family wants to be in touch with you. Bruce, what about doing nothing? I mean, I had dreams when I was a busy doctor of, of catching up on all those TV shows, taking the big vacations, lounging around. I mean, is there something wrong with that? It gets old fast. My experience and the, the wonderful lesson I learned was the, my first effort at retiring back in, I think it was 1991. I'd been going full bore five days, six days a week at the New York Stock Exchange, working with the chairman on his succession planning and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I knew he was going to retire. 
And he'd made me promise that I couldn't retire. I couldn't move to Vermont until, until he retired. Fast forward, when he retired, I just thought, I don't have to do a damn thing now. And I went to Vermont, probably sat around maybe two days, three days. That would be my max. Then I started on the farm. I started, you know, agriculture work. We got... We got, a, we got a housewarming gift of a couple of red Angus steers, so I had to learn a little bit about animal husbandry, and then I had stone walls to rebuild and the like. I, I had a six-month sabbatical doing that work in Vermont, and I learned that doing nothing, that, that fantasy of doing nothing is really just that. It's a fantasy. If you're given the kind of people we're talking about, you don't go from your full bore activity to nothing. Nothing's that's that's silly. Yeah, sit on the back porch with a book for two or three hours. That's good. Nothing. Go to the beach with your family for a weekend or a week. That's kind of nothing, except it gets pretty busy by Friday. And then you're going to have to find have things to do, meaningful things to do. That's what the this is all about: is finding how to do the things the way that will be mean that will give you a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning as you work out the last chapter there are very few absolutes in anything and it's and and we're not given a whole bunch of absolutes in the book the closest thing comes an absolute that any policy any planning for retirement that has doing do not doing nothing in it is going to be absolutely positively guaranteed to be a absolute complete failure. I mean, that, it, it, that is just, abs- that is death. Now, and most people don't do that. Most people are thinking that, but they don't say it. But when you listen to them, I, I, we have in the book that there was an executive who I was with and he was, he was talking about, and he'd been out of, he'd been retired for six months. This was several years ago. And we were at a cocktail party. So we started talking. He started complaining about retirement's awful, retirement's terrible, retirement's this. And I said, well, what, what do you, you know, you know, what, what you got to do is you got to think about a strategy for retirement. What are you going to be doing? Things like that. He says, oh, he says, I, I ran this hospital. I, I do strategy all the time. And it took my very best good angel to not say, if you did strategy all the time, what the hell did you do with regard to your retirement, you blip blip? <laughs> so I, I think I, I just to try to get his attention. I just think that that that, that this 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 do nothing thing is a total complete disaster. There's one thing that Bruce and I have found with everybody we talked to is that that those that said I'm going to do nothing, they fail retirement in, in a gigantic way. And Ted, this dovetails with some of the data that you pointed to that. People searching for meaning spikes in the 60s. I would have never thought that. I always kind of thought that was more of a young man's game, so to speak. That's something we really are struggling with with our, in our 30s and 40s. Yeah, right around retirement age. Yeah, I think it's a bell-shaped curve. I really do. I mean, I think the people that I talk to who are most interested in meaning and the rest of it are people that are very young and people that are very old. I mean, you get down to the you get to the end of your life and you start. We talked earlier about a day at a time, but you're thinking about what you're going to be doing. You kind of think of, of bigger things, and so I, I I really do believe that 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 that's an important part of planning for what it is that you're going to do more for. I think your your the work you're doing on hospice. That's just that's what that's what people a lot of people are looking for. They really are. 
Bruce, let's talk more about some of the other types of planning. We've been talking about meaning, but you guys spend a decent amount of time also discussing physical and intellectual fitness. Not something I thought I'd find when I opened the book. How important is physical fitness per se to your retirement? Well, as, as you recall, in the book that starts, that chapter starts off with a quote from a guy that was I, I used as a therapist, Ron Grant, who looked at me one day and he said, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anything. Oh, oh, <laughs> let's, let's talk some more. And at that point, I'd taken my good health and activity level and eating and drinking habits just for granted, never thought twice about it. And I didn't become obsessed over it, but it became kind of a touchstone for taking care, you know, taking care of myself. I had a wife, I had two kids in school, and I had a great life and all that stuff. And if I didn't take care of me, all that stuff was put at risk. So in the book, we talk, we encourage people very specifically to get a program of exercise. And that changes over the over the three stages of retirement. I mean, when when you enter retirement, you're generally fit and hearty and going full bore, and you can channel that. So you get a, an exercise program like Ted worked out. He just got a routine where he came in and worked out in this in his uh, gym in the cellar every day for a given period of time. I had a, a health club at home where I went four days a week and did my routine. Then as you get into the next stage of retirement, you, you know, your body's not as, re as responsive as it was before. So you just kind of modify that, but you keep paying attention to that. And then as you get older, like today, 81, this morning, my exercise was going out for a walk for an hour with my wife. And that, you know, that walk is doing a good thing. The same applies to your brain. We talk a lot about keeping your brain in, in good health. And there's ample evidence that shows that just doing stuff that's mentally stimulating keeps you younger, keeps you healthier. God knows it makes you more interesting. I mean, one of the things that's a shock is to be amongst retired people and, <laughs> and run up against somebody who hasn't had a new idea in five years and hasn't read a book in 10 the idea of keeping your mind fit has got all sorts of pluses to it. Yeah, I think there are four chapters that go into this in the book. There's one, maintaining your body, maintaining your brain, maintaining your heart, and maintaining your soul. And I think each one of them are really key to, to having a successful retirement. And when I, say, when I say maintaining your soul, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be involved in religion. But I'll tell you again, your numbers, life expectancy and quality of life go up if you have a spiritual involvement. That's just what, and, the, and the, the studies are in the book where you can see that. Maintaining your heart is obviously your cardiovascular thing, but also your emotional thing in terms of, of, of the people around you and dealing with that. But no, it's, it, it's one of the absolute key things to, to, as you get older, one of the key things to have a successful retirement. You've got to worry about your mind. You've got to worry about your body, you got to worry about your soul, and you got to worry about your, your emotions. Let's take a break. We're talking with former Senator Ted Kaufman and business consultant Bruce Hyland. Their book, Retiring Your Next Chapter, is about more than money drops May 4th. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. 
Other than Earn and Invest, you know what one of my favorite podcasts is? It's the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Here you can go to learn about not just financial independence, but how to get there with the real estate asset class. He has two types of episodes, one in which he is the expert telling you the tips and tricks, and the other is where he has guests on that give you real-life proof-of-concept examples of how your everyday person can invest in real estate. I highly suggest this podcast. Go to CoachCarson.com and check it out. That is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. It's well worth a listen. Welcome back. We are with Ted Kaufman and Bruce Hyland and talking about life after retirement. Bruce, I noted in the book, you've mentioned that you've quote unquote failed retirement a few times. What did you mean by that? And does that contradict the message of your book? Oh, no, I, th- I think it, it's a ringing endorsement for the importance of, of planning it. A, a good deal of what's in the book and anything I contributed is based on that kind of hard won experience. The failing retirement, that's that's almost a laugh line in my circle because the first time I tried, as I said, I, I left New York City and then I had six months in the country building stone walls and, and tending animals. And then my client's successor made it very clear that he expected me to return to help out. Uh, and I was able to do that from Vermont. So I did that for, I think, that, that ran about 11 years. The, the second time was a much more conscious separation where I decided I I wanted to get away from big business. I'd had it. I just, that was, I was closing that chapter. Unfortunately, because I'd had a halftime involvement with New York for 10 years at that point, I'd, the other half of my time had been very involved in community activities in Vermont. I think I comment someplace that I think that's, Part of my DNA is community community work. So that was a that was a very smooth transition into activities in my immediate community. And then I think it's three three years ago, four years ago now. The principal uh, my principal focus had been straightening out the downtown of this iconic village in in Vermont in a big building that I was one of the owners of. That kind of came to a natural conclusion because we were selling the building, my partners and I all agreed. So at that point, I had just the things that I wanted to do. We had our life split between Vermont and down here in Vero Beach. So that was the uh, that was my transition. I At the time, I didn't think of any of them as failures. I thought of them as wonderful learning experiences. And I had the luxury of doing this kind of in pieces and figuring out my plan as I went along. Ted's an engineer. He does things much more rigorously and in a disciplined fashion than I do, always has. But here I am and here we are, and we're we're pretty happy. And Ted, similarly, your retirement was interrupted by being appointed to fill a Senate seat, and then you helped Joe Biden run his reelection campaign. I mean, you ever feel like you need to retire from your retirement? No, I'm, this is it. I retired. This is, <laughs> I, I, as you said, you know, in 1995, I, I, I retired. I was busy. I was teaching at Duke Law School. I was on the Broadcasting Board of Governors, overseas U.S. International Broadcast. I was working like 50, 60 hours a week. And then fine, and all working fine. Then Joe Biden got picked by Barack Obama to be vice president. And the governor of Delaware, Ruth Ann Minner, asked me to take his uh, position for two years, which I did. It was a real shock. 
I mean, you come back into this and there, and what I, what I, one of the things I learned that's really important for everyone to kind of understand on this rhythm thing is if you stay at a certain level, this high level, you're okay. If you, if in fact, you know, it's things change, but if you, if you take a dip down, so I come into the Senate where I'd worked for 26 years and, and knew it pretty well. And I'd be sitting with colleagues who were like five, six, seven years older than me who were like running rings around me because <laughs> they just, they had stayed at that same level. Do you know what I mean? For the, for, for the whole time that, and so then I did that. And then I, I, re, I retired from that with the idea that I was going to retire and did uh, a number of things. And then when Joe Biden decided to run for president, it looked like he was going to be a serious contender in April of 2020, he asked me to set up his, his presidential transition, which was eight months of, you cannot imagine how difficult it is to plan a transition for the most complex organization in the history of the world, the United States. So no, I've retired now. That was, that was, that I failed twice. I'm a recidivist <laughs> and I've got a good ideas of what I'm going to be going to forward. I was about to say, Ted, I'm going to get you in hot water here, but you know, yeah. 2024 will be here quicker than you know it if if you get that phone call. Every once in a while, there's somebody that's truly extraordinary, and I think he's just an extraordinary uh, person. And one of but the one of the big things that carries him through is he, he stayed at that level the entire time. I mean, he's 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 you know being a vice president of the United States is not exactly a step down. So no, it's a totally different world. Bruce, I want to wrap up by asking you, looking back at your own trajectory, and I'll ask Ted the same question afterwards, anything you would have done differently? One of the most satisfying things I've done in my adult life has been some volunteer work in the Vero Beach Elementary School, working with fourth and fifth graders from very underprivileged circumstances, where my contribution was to help them understand the most rudimentary social niceties and, and things like how to shake hands, how to make making eye contact when you shake hands, good manners, basics of, of how important reading is. Anyway, long story short, I got involved in that and I just couldn't believe how good I felt about what I was doing. And the nice part about it was I could see the results at the end of a semester. I think I would have done more of that early. I'd had one taste of it because one of the startups that I got involved with when I retreated to Vermont was there a group of 10 dairy farms, dairy farm families in our county. And a guy had gotten them together and was telling them that this was when organic farming was becoming a big deal. And organic farming at that point was a very nice idea, but there wasn't an established market for, for organic milk. And he said, ah, but we all practice sustainable farming. And what we do is we produce the best tasting milk anybody can ever experience. And they did. And I, they had to prove it to me first that I did side-by-side tastes of taste tests of glasses of milk from all different places. And these people, the, the way they did it, it was fabulous. Long story short, we set up a business called Vermont Family Farms where they produced and we marketed this, orga- this sustainably produced premium milk, sold like gangbusters in Boston and New York. We couldn't scale up fast enough, but we 
we're able to take these 10 farm families and help really dramatically improve their business. That was a, a very meaningful, a meaningful undertaking. So I, I wish I'd done more of that earlier, but still feel pretty good. Ted, anything you would have changed? You know, I, I hate to say no, because it makes it sound like, oh, you were so smart. You figured this all out. It was great. The rest of that. That's just not true. I mean, I, I think the reason why it worked out so well for me was a lot of work. But I think more than that was a, having a wonderful family and, and being able to, to plan ahead on what it is that, that I was going to do. And I'm sure there's many, many tactical things that I would have done. But I look back on it and say, no. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why Bruce and I wrote the book. I mean, it, it, I think it's something that Bruce and I ended up doing well. I mean, we've done lots of things in our life, I'll speak for Bruce, that didn't work out well. <laughs> it was not a good idea. And so it's kind of like we were sitting there saying, you know, this is really this. And again, it, it really came back to just so many people being responsive to what it is that that, that we said you know, that got us started and saying, boy, this retirement thing is, it didn't work out. It's terrible. I'm failing it. It's bad. All these kinds of things. I think that's really what it, what it, what it got, what it got, what we got into. So that's really what, what I think working on this project and the rest of it, tactically are the things that I would do differently. Absolutely. But in terms of the overall strategy, what it is, and again, I think a lot of it's luck, a lot of it's, you know, things out beyond my control, but it, it, it really worked out pretty well. Working on this project has been very satisfying for both of us. It's been fascinating. It kept our brains and bodies active. But the, the thing that is that I'm struck by is that the reaction we've gotten from people that have seen the book and, and seen sections of the book is so positive. And so, you know, we set out to help and, and we're getting evidence that it really is helpful. And the satisfaction that comes from that is not trivial. And just uh, should mention one other thing. One of the things we decided along the way was that we've, we have enough. And so any profits that come out of this book will go to charities. Ted Kaufman is a former U.S. Senator from Delaware, succeeding Senator Joseph Biden. Ted was Biden's chief of staff for 19 years and led his presidential transition planning in 2020. He taught at Duke Law School for 26 years, and Bruce Hyland's career included working for global consulting firm McKenzie, more than four years as chief administrative officer at Time, Inc., and 20 years of independent consulting, as well as at four startups. The book is Retiring. Your next chapter is about much more than money. Bruce and Ted, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Doc, Thank thanks you. for having us. That's a wrap. Yo, welcome back to the community section. This is a quick one here. I just wanted to read off a review I got from Stephen F. Murray. He wrote, fantastic podcast. The most insightful personal finance podcast out there in 2021. Doc G asks tough questions and draws out information that other interviewers don't get to. It's obvious that a significant amount of time and effort goes into each and every episode. It's really nice to hear candid, open discussion about what's really fulfilling, content creation and personal development versus the prestige of being a physician, and the associated emotions. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Stephen F. Murray. As you all know... I love the art of asking questions. And that's why I like podcasting is I want to dive deeply 
into what a person has to tell us because I believe everybody has an amazing story and my job as a podcast host is to get them to tell that story. And the way I do that is with these little questions that I sprinkle in and out trying to get them to divulge their greatest secrets and their most wonderful stories. So Stephen, thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. If you are listening to Earn and Invest and liking this podcast, do as Stephen did and go to either Apple or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a review. And better yet, tell a friend or family member to check out Earn and Invest. That is how our community grows. Want to think, Bruce? We got another great case history. Yeah, yeah. I can be. Yeah, That's, yeah. I, I sat here at the start of this interview. Said, Boy, you know, where was this guy when we were, when we were putting the book together? You are a great doc. You are a great case history for yeah, what, what the book's all yeah. about. I mean, you're, See, you're like the model of, of of what it is that we're talking about. Yeah, the one thing I've noticed. So, the one thing I'm struggling with, which is adjacent to this, is so. When I transitioned to this point where I didn't feel like I functionally really had to work anymore, I really set my brain on finding things that I enjoy the process of doing as opposed to the end goal or achievement, because I've been so achievement oriented my whole life, just as as most of us who are who have been successful at something or other, that I realized that that kind of achievement focus wasn't making me happy anymore. So I spent the last few years really focusing on things that I love the process for, like making the podcast or like writing or those kind of things. The only downside to that is I still realize that there has to be an incremental portion of feeling like I'm making progress towards something. So that's, that's where I am right now is like, I believe happiness is making progress towards a goal that ultimately is really important to you. I've always kind of lately spurned the goal because I got so achievement focused. I know as longer was enjoying things, but there's a, the opposite side to that is if you don't feel like you're making progress, things also don't feel good. And so it's getting that sense of meaning. And part of meaning is feeling like you're moving ahead. Yeah. By the way, I absolutely, I could not agree more. I think, you know, look, you, you, it's clear. Achievement was, has been important to you for a long time. Specifically, the way you achieve may have gotten old, but achievements, for you to be happy, you've got to have achievement in there somewhere. It's yeah. it, 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 it just it just it can't be controlling so that it pushes everything else out. But but it's like it's Bruce and me in the book. I mean, there, there are, book, a big portion of that was achievement. There are two very funny photos that got exchanged over Instagram or Facebook, whatever it was. And it was a picture of Bruce Highland with a box full of newly printed books, holding one up in front of the camera. <laughs> and the same picture in Delaware of Ted sitting there with his books holding mm-hmm. with these giant grins, because actually, you know, when we had that in hand, that was the first time it all became real. Yeah, And that was, that was kind of that achievement. Yeah. So. And congratulations, a big achievement as it is. I enjoyed the book. I think it's really important information. It's certainly something I deal with a lot. And we spend a lot of time talking about on this podcast. So I'm excited for this episode to come out. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
you'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.